So today <clears throat> we're going to continue the views action path discussion. We're approaching the end. This is um, episode 22, and I want to. We're going to. We're in the uh, travel phase. The first link I send here is four conditions for attaining Sotapanna Maga Pala. Sotapanna means stream entry. Maga means um, path. Pala means fruit in Pali. And we <clears throat> made the transit from these original Theravada Pali language Buddhist teachings from 2,500 years ago to um, the roots of the Tibetan Karmakagyu lineage associated with Maitripa, uh, who was about uh, 11th century in northern India. And so that's a 1,500-year jump. And we're going to jump another 1,000 years to about the end of the, the big early 20th century, later, not, not necessarily today, but it'll conclude this whole series, Views Action Path, with a teacher named Ajahn Sao, who was a um, very important Thai Ajahn master, forest tradition, um, born at the end of the 19th century, lived through middle 20th century, and the teacher of the most heavy um, awakened Thai masters, that themselves <clears throat> are the root of some of the later Thai teachers who trained the Westerners who brought Vipassana to the West. Uh, particularly when we start with four conditions for Sotapanna, path and fruit, uh, point one was these four conditions, four requirements, and the first is listening to Dhamma discourse uh, and the particular power of um, listening or reading, but particularly listening to someone who's had a Sotapanna awakening already. And so the metaphysical power uh, of the teaching or the speaking of somebody who's had a greater attainment than um, someone who's just learning about what that could be. And the second association with Kalyanamitra, or noble friend, or spiritual friend, but particularly in Buddhism, those who have awakening, association with them. The third is where we make our jump point, uh, acting with Yoniso Manasakara, <coughs> which <coughs> on the website puredhamma.net is understood as living in accord with the teaching of the three marks, Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta, or impermanence, uh, stressfulness, and either you know no self or insubstantiality of selfhood or insubstantiality uh, of all phenomena and mind, uh, and dependent origination, patichasamapada, or understanding basically that there is a karmic cause and effect chain. Um, from what we're experiencing as a consequence of causes which are our activity <laughs> of body and speech and mind, our thinking, our speaking, our physical decisions or physical actions, um, acting in accord with Yoniso Manasikara, meaning your own awareness of 
the reality of the Three Marks teaching as it applies to phenomena in mind, where the word manasikara um, is translated as sort of uh, internal, uh, let me see how he does it, point nine, uh, with this in mind. <laughs> it's a strange thing because manas or mana is a Sanskrit root of mind, man as manas, the root in Sanskrit uh, related to the word mind, and related to man and humanity, actually. So, <clears throat> with this in mind, perceiving or living in accord with um, the reality that everything's impermanent, inner and outer, and um, insubstantial, cannot be grasped or held in any permanence, and therefore there's stress. Where <clears throat> that teaching of Yoniso Manasikara 1500 years later was somewhat mod somewhat modified into a teaching called Amanasikara and we're working from uh, a second link I'm sending which is a book from a German scholar named Klaus Dieter Mates called A Fine Blend of Mahamudra and Majamaka Mahamudra is a core Tibetan Vajrayana teaching meaning great seal which is another term really for awakening and Madhyamaka meaning middle path which is the philosophy or the logical analysis of what awakening is <clears throat> what nirvana is what sunyata or emptiness is and we got into that last week a bit where this book if on the second link is a collection of 26 texts on non-conceptual realization and so that's what realization is and that's no different than an understanding of um, uh, what awakening is, particularly arahan or final awakening from the Theravada tradition, early Buddhism, Pali language. So 26 texts from the yogi, yogin, uh, Maitripa, and the link on Wikipedia <coughs> is here also known as Maitripada, Maitrigupta, Advayavajra, and Maitripa. Uh, that second link, prominent Indian Buddhist Mahasiddha, or Great Siddha, associated with Mahamudra transmission, and actually was the lineage root in many ways of Karma Kagyu or Kagyu branch of Tibetan Buddhism. And um, his works on Amanasakara were translated in this book by Klaus Dieter Mates uh, and he explains back to that second link the collection of 26 texts on non-conceptual realization which is realization the result of blending the essence and tantric Mahamudra teachings of these three Saraha Nagarjuna who's the logician who developed Majamaka and Shavaripa, who was the teacher, who was really a mountain um, tantric master, supposedly, who was the root of Maitripa, way, you know, 10th century, uh, with a particular form of Madhyamaka philosophy called non-abiding, apratishtana, and non-abiding is very much what Shila, uh, not Shila, but Sati, uh, sometimes I confuse Shila and Sati, but Sati, like Anapanasati, or mindfulness, is. Mindfulness is non-grasping attentiveness, 
sati, anapana sati meaning in breath, out breath, awareness or attentiveness, which is a non grasping uh, attentiveness to what appears to be the flow of phenomena, um, outer, inner, right? Sounds and sights um, and sensations in the body, uh, but particularly thoughts and mental process of conception non-abiding you see you know they they these guys they um reformulated the original teachings and at best um simply put new words new philosophical um kind of a little bit of a spin a little bit of a reformulation or clarification uh on the original teachings uh, from Pali original Buddhism. Uh, <clears throat> while they're calling that, Tibetans basically have the view that the three vehicles, three yanas, which they call Hinayana, Mahayana, Vajrayana, um, were taught for students of three levels of mental capacity. <laughs> and so their degradation of Theravada is to call it Hinayana, which means lower or wretched vehicle. And there's a little bit of uh, superiority elitism, obviously, in that. And you can't tell any Theravadan that he's following Hinayana. It's a kind of curse um, or an insult to call it Hina, because that actually means like wretched and inferior. Meanwhile, <laughs> all they're doing at best, actually, is reformulating original teachings. And so, non abiding apratishtana, the second link, uh, non-abiding is really the heart of uh, sati or mindfulness, it seems to me. And uh, attentiveness without grasping and aversion. And <clears throat> the introduction here says that that teaching, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tenet of the philosophy, middle way, Madhyamaka, middle way philosophy, and the teaching technique, or, you know, a, a, it's a teaching uh, of the way or uh, a technique to continue development, particularly in meditation, where non-abiding is really the heart of uh, non-grasping attentiveness, which aims at radically transcending any conceptual assessment of true reality, right? So the difference between concept and reality. This goal is achieved by, quote, withdrawing one's attention, and here we have amanasikara, from anything that involves duality of a perceiver and a perceived it's basically non-attachment to thought. It's, it's realizing that thought also is empty, sunyata, shunya. Uh, thought <clears throat> is not reality. Thought is a, an interpretation. And there's the reality of thought, which is that, yes, there's thinking. But um, what is is not uh, all. Uh, what is is much more than our thought of it. And so there's also a... a Zen saying, <clears throat> things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. <laughs> they're more than as they appear, they're not quite as they appear, meaning as we perceive, meaning as we interpret. It's not just perception, it's conception. Things are not as we conceive them, or not only as, they con as, we, conceive, as we conceive them, nor are they otherwise. <laughs> meaning, they are as they are, and our conception uh, may, be, may or may not be relatively true. That's the teaching of the two truths, 
which Madhyamaka, and it's in fact, it's very deep in the teaching, the philosophy of Madhyamaka, middle way, between affirmation and negation, <laughs> between saying it is and it isn't. And that's where they get all this confusion about self, no self, anatta teaching. People say, oh, there is no self, Buddha said there's no self. He actually didn't say that. He said self is not in the five skandhas, or any kind of selfhood cannot be found in these five constituents of the sense of self. The sense of self in these five skandhas, we talked about this many times, form or body, feeling or sensation in the body, perception, which is perception uh, of physical phenomena and mind, five bodily senses, touch, taste, smell, sight, hearing, you see it in the, in the face, and the mind sense, that's the third skanda. The fourth skanda being sanskara, kanda, sankara, uh, being mental fashionings. And that's the real matter. <laughs> Conceptual assessment of true reality all comes out of the fourth skanda, and the fifth is consciousness, and every one of those is not a self. Self is not in them or using them. The, the whole notion of true identity won't be answered or isn't in or of or related to those five elements of the sense of self. <laughs> deep, deep. So the goal, or Mahamudra, achieved by withdrawing one's attention, Amanasakara, anything involves duality of perceived and perceiver, meaning anything that's subjectivist, me, you, this, that. And that's what the law of one is, is a transcendence of duality, right? Non-duality, which is uh, you are love light, you are all things, all is one. You can't say uh, you're this or that. Um, you are all, or uh, identity is non-dual. Then, <clears throat> this introduction goes on, the result is a, quote, luminous self-empowerment, otherwise called enlightenment. <laughs> so again, they're using all sorts of clever and maybe useful um, philosophical reformulations to explain just the same as complete and perfect enlightenment or um, you know samyutara uh, samyak sambodhi from Pali, something like that meaning complete and perfect awakening and <clears throat> um, luminous self-empowerment Maitripa's final tantric analysis of Omar and from last time, <clears throat> I read, um, I, I can give you the link, but it's really a long, long page that you may not be able to work through, sayings, um, something that uh, Klaus-Dieter Mates wrote in an article for Tantric Studies, saying, For Maitripa and his circle, Amanasikara not only means to refrain from mental engagement of dualistic thought, but also to directly realize the luminous nature of mind. Okay, well, you won't realize the luminous nature of mind, or luminosity, or jokchen, or clear light, uh, by continued engagement with dualistic thought. And so awakening is not made by thought. Thought is an obstruction, uh, or can be, you know, before awakening, <laughs> thought is perceived or is a form of obstruction to... Uh, realizing the luminous nature of mind <clears throat> when there is greater realization or true realization of the luminous nature of mind or true reality then actually dualistic thought is also seen as empty and yet another manifestation and so that's the identity of samsara and nirvana or um, appearance and essence or appearance and reality 
that's why that's saying things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. Nor are they otherwise means uh, the luminous nature of mind when known or as it is is not obstructed by mental engagement because one knows that that's phenomenal display, appearance, and its nature is a clear light too. <laughs> and the second phrase, second little statement here from this Tantric Studies uh, article is, quote, in terms of being great bliss, Karopa, <clears throat> one of the students of um, Maitripa, Karopa equates Mahamudra, great seal or, or awakening to luminous nature, with the, quote, kaya of Amanasikara, meaning the body or the heart of Amanasikara, meaning this non-attentive um, being, non-attentive or attentive, non-attentive, non-grasping attentiveness or non-attachment attentiveness, understood as freedom from superimposition and denial. And that's the little nugget that I think is critical. When we're forming thought or rejecting thought, superimposition, imposing our beliefs or believing our thought and then uh, denying or attached to so-called nothingness, oh, nothing is real, nothing is real. This kind of, uh, this is a, is a superimposition of denial. <laughs> it's a belief in non-reality or a belief in nothingness. And that's, these are the two, the two extremes that Nagarjuna went against with Majamaka philosophy. Buddhism as middle way between affirmation and negation. Things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. They're not just as they appear, or, or not really the same as our superimposition, nor are they nothingness, which is another form of superimposition, or attachment to nothingness. <laughs> Belief that there's nothing. It's nihilism, basically. So, eternalism and nihilism. <clears throat> um, things are solid and substantial and abiding. That's um, affirmation. That's superimposition. That's, uh, e quote, eternalism. And the opposite of that, there's nothing, nothing's real, I am no self, there's no self. That's denial or negation. And Madhyamaka or Buddhism, the heart, is in fact the middle way between those. And so this is again just a, a clearer or a more, um, possibly more useful, <laughs> and for some people more confusing and entangling, philosophic reformulation of the original Buddhist teaching that um, of the three marks <laughs> actually and so the true truth teaching is critical we talked about this many times and so <clears throat> what I want to do is read um, a chapter 17 this link may not work or you may not be able to find the right page because just a second try that link <coughs> scribd and um, it's from the book A Fine Blend of Mahamudra and Majamaka about uh, Maitripa's formulation of Amanasikara or um, withdrawal of attention <laughs> if you want to call it that it's not really it's really um, non-dual attentiveness non-dual, non-grasping attentiveness, where attentiveness is understood as empty as well. Now, what I want to read from is chapter 17. If you can find it, you've got to 
scroll down that page if you can get it. It's page 187 and 187 in the text or in that book that's form, you know, image reproduced in scribbed. And <clears throat> if you can't get it, it's okay. This is a Tattva Vimsaka, 20 verses on true reality. <laughs> and you can get, the, again, this is formulated about a thousand years ago. This is from Maitripa. This is inspired from an understanding of Amanasikara or Madhyamaka, middle way between superimposition and denial, between affirming it is and denying it isn't. Uh, Buddhism has a middle way between those, which is true. But Gautama didn't get into all that philosophy. Uh, he really was much more practical path uh, practice, path practice, practice on the path oriented in the teaching. <clears throat> and a lot of modern students, Westerners particularly, I think, get quite attached to and uh, entangled with the philosophy. Anyway, I'll read it. You're going to find a lot of new words. So, coming back to this scribbed page, the entirety of the book, it seems, Fine Blend of Mahamudra and Madhyamaka, Maitripa's collection of texts on non-conceptual realization, or Amanasikara, uh, realization is not conceptual. Amanasikara, again, is really um, non-dual, non-grasping, non-subjectivist attention or attentiveness. Non-subjectivist attentiveness. How about that? So, uh, 20 verses on true reality. You're going to get a lot of new terms that are Sanskrit, because the, this is already... 1500 years after Gautama, and in their using Sanskrit, no longer Pali, actually, in northern India and that kind of later Buddhism. And you're going to see a lot of Vajrayana terms and practices, and you'll see how complicated Vajrayana became and how many additional practices were put in that were not, you know, taught by Gautama in the forest 2500 years ago. So, 17, 20 verses on true reality. Tattva Vimshaka translation homage to the omniscient one and I'm gonna I'll read a few and then I'll read a paragraph and then explain it and then in the explanation I'm gonna go to all the footnotes also <clears throat> okay translation of Tattva Vimshaka Maitripa <laughs> homage to the omniscient one omniscient one being Buddha, and so there's a Sanskrit translation and a Tibetan translation. So the Tibetan is homage to the Venerable Buddha, and I also want to say thank you to Maitripa Advayavajra. First paragraph, Prajna, in the form of Karma Mudra, and that means wisdom, in the form of what's called um, Karma Mudra means action seal, right? Mahamudra, great seal, Karma Mudra, action seal, which actually means a physical consort for sexual tantric practice. Alright, so we're way out of the, uh, the early teaching here. Prajna, in the form of the Karma Mudra, is related to the moments of the manifold, maturation, relaxation, and freedom from defining characteristics. And this is also... Uh, 
again, he writes that this is a little different than my Tripa system. So yeah, let me read the whole thing and then I'll explain. Prajna, or wisdom, in the form of the Karma Mudra, which is action seal or the, the female consort for the Tantric Yogan, is related to the moments of the manifold, maturation, relaxation, and freedom from defining characteristics. Therefore, you must realize true reality from her, so that you will be the supreme ruler pervading the world. So this is talking about the first level of practice for those involved in this um, early <laughs> tantric um, middle Buddhism Mahamudra uh, teaching lineage uh, relating to the awakening of wisdom right? we had the three foundations of, of the path understood as Shila Samadhi Prajna in the early Buddhism where Prajna is not just wisdom but super mundane wisdom or realization so wisdom or realization with the form of a physical sexual consort in practice is related to moments of manifold maturation relaxation uh, these are aspects of mind's transformation and freedom from defining characteristics right from not from conceptual process therefore you must realize true reality from her so that you will be the supreme ruler pervading the world but Gautama would never talk like that second paragraph prajna and this is the second level of the practice, or the practice for second level practitioners, as the Dharma Mudra, meaning the um, Dharma as Buddha Dharma as uh, essential teaching seal, meaning from essential from from study and and practice without a tantric partner. Prajna is the same as cyclic existence. That means samsara, right? Is and and the Tibetan is uh, prajna by nature meaning wisdom or realization, is the same as cyclic existence, meaning the same as samsara. Or awakening and samsara are the same. They're not separate, right? Things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. Things that are not <laughs> what they appear to be, their reality is not separate from their appearance. So prajna is the same as cyclic existence, samsara. She, meaning prajna, uh, anthropomorphized, anthropomorphized as a female, she, Prajna, is the three kayas and the three vehicles. Three kayas are the three bodies of the Buddha, which is again a later teaching. She, or Prajna, as the Dharma Mudra, is the three kayas and the three vehicles. The three vehicles are basically Hinayana, Mahayana, Vajrayana. <laughs> so they're already talking about that. And then, as Samu Samaya Mudra, Samaya is vow, Mudra seal, so the vow seal, meaning a certain type of practice, in Vajrayana, what became Vajrayana, uh, associated with um, fulfillment of vows, which is not the same as, you know, sexual congress, <laughs> sexual tantric practice, or uh, Dharma Mudra, which is sort of uh, direct study, realization of teachings. This is as far as I know, you know, I'm not a Vajrayana scholar here, but this third level, Samaya Mudra, the third seal, or third way, as that, Samaya Mudra, she, or Prajna, is the circle, the mandala, the means of bliss, and the yogini, meaning the female yogi, or yoga practitioner, meaning the female Buddhist practitioner, or consort of the yogi doing the earlier practice, right, the Karma Mudra. Prajna is the same as samsara, 
Shi or Prajna Awakening is the three kayas, the three vehicles, meaning it's all one. All the teachings, all the bodies of the Buddha, all these differentiations, which they all so put they make they make all these differentiations and then they say they're all one. <laughs> if they're all one, why do you have to make them all? But <laughs> that's why I never uh, signed up with the Vajrayana. She's the three kayas and three vehicles, and then a Samaya Mudra or the vow seal or the way of uh, vows as practice, as path, as way to realization. She's the mandala, the circle, the means of bliss, the way of it, and the yogini. All this is myself and the other, right? Self and other, self and other self, the law of one. Yeah, okay, so back to unity. So then, next paragraph, she, or prajna, can appear as manju vajra, mahamaya, and as a vajra skygoer or vajra daka, and as other deities as well. It is the prajna itself, though appearing individually, as Mahamudra, meaning the fourth mudra, the fourth practice, seal, way, and this is considered the highest of the four, and where sexual, physical contra- uh, con- con- congress or physical uh, sexual practice is considered the le- the lowest <laughs> of these four forms of Mahamudra, four forms of mudra, or practice way in Vajrayana. Meanwhile, that's where all some of these teachers are getting caught up, and people think that, oh, I'll be a Tibetan Buddhist so we can have sex. And that's <laughs> in the, in the <clears throat> for the, the teachers who are free of these desires, the lower, quote, lower desires, uh, they do it in mind. They're not actually needing a physical partner. So again, Prajna, she can appear as these other deities, these other entities that are, came into later Buddhism, Manju Vajra, Mahamaya, and as a Vajradaka, and as other deities as well. So first they put them all in, and then they take them all out, or they put them all in, and then they say, oh, well, it's all one anyway. It's a little strange to me. It is the Prajna itself, right? That's what we're talking about, wisdom or super realization, though appearing individually, right? So um, unity is not harmed by the appearance of multiplicity. The many is the one, um, not separate. And so the union of nirvana and samsara, right? As Mahamudra, or wisdom, as what they're calling Mahamudra, great seal, this complete, you know, luminosity, she is liberation, having the nature of the victorious one, right? All of this kind of uh, warrior linguistic, warrior language. Going on, prajna again, <clears throat> which is really <laughs> what we're looking for, right? Realization, whatever you call it can be called wisdom, super mundane wisdom, insight, uh, awakening and release. Prajna is the inconceivable or inconceivable mind and nevertheless thought of. Non-duality and nevertheless dual, endowed with all supreme forms, existence and non-existence, perception and non-perception. So, uh, middle way, Madhyamaka, in between or not attached to the extremes of existence, non-existence, meaning all is or nothing is, perception, non-perception, uh, which is again, you know, the ninth, the, the eighth jhana, by the way, uh, the eighth trance, the last of the formless trances, right, for uh, rupa jhana, for arupa jhana, non-form trances or jhanas or states of samadhi 
is uh, perception or is realization of or um, um, awareness of neither percep the, the, neither perception nor non-perception. And so he's really trying to say that <coughs> um, perception isn't a problem, non-perception isn't a problem, non-perception isn't the goal, or non-existence is not the goal, while existence and perception is not a problem. Non-duality and nevertheless dual, right? So the unity appearing as duality, the union of uh, unity, uh, the identity between unity and non-duality, and duality. And this is again, I've talked about this where first we have the experience of duality, <clears throat> then we realize, oh, all is one. Um, but that's actually not a Buddhist teaching, <laughs> original Buddhist teaching, unity. And in fact, <clears throat> they teach non-duality, but they don't <clears throat> hold up unity as a goal. And so we've got duality, which is common appearance, or um, the manifest, the manifold, the many, multiplicity, uh, the many things. And then we've got non-duality, or unity, uh, which leads some people to think about nothingness, or there is no, you know, there is no many, there's only the one. Well, <clears throat> actually, the perception of duality and the perception or awareness of unity, meaning non-differentiation, um, both of them are not quite yet true non-duality. So the teaching of the, the experience of many and then a, the antidote to that, which is the love one, <laughs> the teaching of unity, um, both of them are forms of duality. <laughs> both of them is an expression of dualistic concept, meaning reality is beyond both. <clears throat> reality, Mahamudra, luminosity, is beyond attachment to the concepts and the experience of many or one. That's called infinity. <clears throat> That's called intelligent divinity. That's reality beyond any concept, either the common concepts of the common experience of many, duality, and the, and the antidote to that, which is the realization that the many is one. Uh, complete and perfect awakening is beyond both of those. And Madhyamaka, or middle way, is between both of those, between affirmation and negation between the many is real and nothing is real, or there's only many, or there's only the one. Both of those, all of those, are more conceptual, um, you know, overlay. <clears throat> and that's why we talk about prajna, or awakening, is inconceivable. And when he puts in brackets here, this is the translator's uh, gloss to explain and help us, but actually, <clears throat> once we understand uh, what he's, <clears throat> what what the uh, bracketed meaning is, or the meaning that comes from including these bracketed words like prajna is the inconceivable mind. Actually, <clears throat> we can take out the bracketing and say prajna or <laughs> is the inconceivable. But I think we need the first one. So prajna, wisdom, uh, ma mudra, really, luminosity, reality, beyond the concept beyond imposing and denying is inconceivable. <laughs> and we don't even have to say mind, actually. That's why the, some of the Chan teachers said Buddha is mind and there's no mind. And there was a whole school of philosophy, uh, a Buddhist, there was a whole school called no mind, actually, associated with one group called Yogacara, and that was um, around this time. And so there is no mind doesn't mean there is no you, but the you is inconceivable. 
identity is inconceivable. Identity is transconceptual. Yeah. Identity is transconceptual. Reality is transconceptual. Yet it appears as duality. <clears throat> and so it's inconceivable, yet nevertheless thought of. We're thinking. But our thinking is not separate from the inconceivable. <laughs> the essential inconceivability of our conceptions and our experience of manyness. Non-duality and nevertheless dual. Endowed with all supreme forms, meaning the three kayas or bodies of the Buddha, and all these uh, differentiations, uh, existence, which is you know apparent substantiality, <clears throat> and non-existence or the uh, experience that it's empty, perception, non-perception. Uh, all of this is not separate from luminosity, and um, Tibetan use perceiver and perceived, and so. Uh, the sense of a subject, the sense of an object, that's all not separate from the, you know, uh, the clear light or the luminous nature of reality. And to even say mind is superfluous. Going on, he goes on, and he cuts, you know, these guys cut it all away appropriately. They add a lot and then cut it down, which is um, <laughs> okay, but uh, some people get tangled in all that activity. He goes on, the mind without consciousness, that's what it means, no mind or Buddha is mind. The mind without consciousness, right? Consciousness is born of ignorance, said Gautama directly. The mind without consciousness, devoid of cognitive objects, unsurpassable, peaceful, pure, devoid of appearances, is the awareness known as prajna. Good, bang. So what is prajna? It's translated as wisdom. What kind of wisdom? It's actually wisdom realization or realization that is a form of wisdom but it's really awareness what is it it's awareness of pure awareness what is it well it's associated with mind without consciousness which is not mind you know <laughs> mind without consciousness is no self <laughs> that's anatta meaning there is no selfhood in mind or some you know all the skandhas of the sense of self Beyond consciousness, we find awakening, yes. Consciousness is not Buddha. And the teaching of mind is Buddha is uh, the teaching that there's no mind. So what, there's no Buddha? Yeah, right, you can say that. <laughs> but it's unfettered awareness, free of conceptualization, free of subjectivism, free of the dualistic thought of subject-object apparent reality, yet all that apparent dualistic experience is not outside awakening too. Devoid of cognitive objects, unsurpassable, it really means, you know, there, there's free of thinking, and then there's the reality, uh, the realization that thinking is not an obstruction. It's obstructive if you don't know <laughs> that reality is all, <clears throat> or Mahamudra is inseparable from all. But before that's known, um, cognitive objects consciousness, the sense of self, is obstructive. <laughs> After, it's not obstructive. Peaceful, pure, devoid of appearances. So this is akin to um, nothingness state, or uh, quiet mind, or deep samadhi without arising thought. Uh, that all, that freedom from arising there is the awareness known as prajna, again, not separate from Mahamudra. He goes on, the means of access to her, her means prajna, will become clear in the treatises of the mantrayana, uh, mantra-naya. Mantra, it's the, uh, it actually may not be naya, but yana. Mantra 
yana is the way of mantric practice, mantra, you know, like mantras. And again, that's way outside <laughs> what Gautama taught. He was not teaching mantras. And that's how you get magical power, one way. And that's very uh, big no-no <clears throat> in terms of original teaching, using mantras to gain magic power or siddhis. These guys were mahasiddhas, meaning they had great magical powers, many of them, right? A, a thousand AD. But uh, the best of them were not attached to it and simply used their magical powers uh, to reveal, you know, unsurpassed reality, Mahamudra, um, free of, you know, attachment, grasping and aversion, free of concept, clinging to concept, uh, superimposition and denial, affirmation and negation, free of all that. They used the magic powers in the service of that, at best. And the ones that didn't uh, got screwed up. The means of access to her, Prajna, will become clear in the treatises of the mantra, Yana, I think. For there are manifold means in them, meaning methods and ways in that body of teachings of mantra, corresponding to persons of inferior, average, and superior faculties. And that's where they get the three yanas, or three vehicles, uh, where they degrade Theravada into Hinayana, inferior yana vehicle. Uh, so it gets really complicated. Meanwhile, it is discernible. <laughs> it is decipherable, all this. So, okay, what? He's saying that you need mantra? Maybe. Maybe not. He goes on, and now he's going to explain the three yanas, or the three levels of capacity of student. So it's a real problem, you know, when you in a teaching that says, this is a teaching for the, those of superior ability. So what? Everybody who signs up has superior ability? Well, probably most of them don't. But you're signing up, it's, it's like, you know, there is a fast way, yes. And Vajrayana, at best, yes, is a fast way. But how many people are capable of driving a Ferrari 150 miles an hour? Very few, you know. <laughs> and so you can be in a fast way, the Vajrayana, fast yana, and shorten the time to complete and perfect an awakening, akin to driving your Ferrari 150 miles an hour. But are you that skillful? as a driver. <laughs> so there, there are a lot of people who are in this yana, Vajrayana, that claims to be for those with superior faculties, which claims to be a fast path, and, and it can be, I, I'm sure. But are they of superior faculties? Are they capable of driving the car fast? Well, probably not. Um, yet, um, if they're not, you know, trained with all the progressive levels of, of training, um, then they're not skilled enough when they get to the higher teachings, and that leads to a lot of trouble. And so, um, <laughs> there's a word to the wise, or a caution to the to the, the wise here. So he'll go now explain these three levels of capacity. Those with inferior capacities have perfectly cultivated the circle or mandala, um, and he explains the, the gloss on point five hundred is that's the union of consort and so forth. The union of the consort really means karma mudra level practice, saying that sexual tantric practice with a female or partner of the opposite sex, yes, that's what's taught, um, is for those of inferior capacities. <laughs> Meanwhile, some people think that that's um, the great selling point of Vajrayana, or they're mm, uh, having a fun time with that and getting into trouble. But that's actually originally for those with inferior, quote, inferior capacities, have perfectly cultivated the mandala with the help of the karma 
and Samaya Mudras, meaning the action and vow seals, meaning the physical partner for action, Kama Mudra, Karma, Kama too, Karma Mudra, and vow seal, meaning these levels of the practice, which is the training, presumably to be able to drive the Ferrari 150 miles an hour, meaning to use accelerated teachings. And he goes on, with a mind directed to the external, in the matter of pure reality, they meditate on enlightenment. And so that means that the external um, supports of those two levels, those two type practices, karma mudra, uh, sexual tantric work, which is not just sex, it's visualization and breathing, and samaya mudra, or vow, seal, type practice, level practice, they're very much, yes, ex- directed to the external. S- um, the external, you know, physical body, mind, being of the sexual partner and the guru and the vows. In the, so directed to the, the mind is, yes, directed to the external in the matter of pre-reality, meaning they're not just seeking to grasp the external, hopefully, but meditating on enlightenment by use of an apparently external uh, sexual partner or guru with the vows, goes on, then the third, in union with the Yana Mudra, which is a visualized consort, <clears throat> and so that's where you see the Vajrayana, the more serious practitioners, as far as I can tell, or at least those that are trying to avoid the trouble or the complications of a physical sexual consort, in union union with Yana Mudra, which is a knowledge seal, which is the visualized consort, which is doing those tantric practices in your mind, with Manju Vajra or the like as chief, meaning chief deities used in those practices. They're using a lot of deities. Being neither true nor a false appearance, all this being neither true nor a false appearance, meaning all that's visualized in the mind and the practice, this is the practice of yogins with average faculties. <laughs> so, union with Yana Mudra, visualized consort, with Manju Vajra or the like as chief being neither true nor a false appearance, meaning it's an appearance, but it's neither true nor false when you realize that it's all empty, yogins with average faculties. So that's how tight the original texts are. And um, because they're teaching initiates, <laughs> they're not just teaching people reading on internet. All right, going on. So we need to just talk about now <clears throat> the inferior practice, those with inferior faculties, so-called, doing karma and samaya mudra work, those with average faculties doing yana mudra work, then to those unable to know the level of self-empowerment as it really is, the path is taught in gradual steps toward the attaining of enlightenment. And in Tibetan it was, the path is taught they attain enlightenment gradually. How else, may I ask, (laughs) does one attain enlightenment other than gradually? It's, It's an awakening in the moment but it's preceded by a long, gradual um, work of development. And so that's, that's some of the fiction or the problem with I, my little opinion of Vajrayana is that they talk about instantaneous enlightenment, which is uh, achieved by a long year's practice, process of practice and gradual self-purification transformation. Not any different than Theravada, actually. So... Um, fast path is um, not really different (laughs) than the slow path at some way. There's gradual, 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 and then instantaneous 
it seems to me, always. Those unable to know the level of self-empowerment as it really is, path is taught gradual steps towards attaining of enlightenment. And they're presuming that they don't need gradual. Given your affection for deities, he goes on, given your affection for deities, <laughs> meaning students who are really into having deity, wrathful and peaceful deities in their meditation, how is there not a mental imprint? Meaning, yeah, there is. If mental imprint is true, it will still be like all other. Meaning, even if this mental imprint is pure, it will still be like all other mental imprints. No? The question mark there. And so, this is the warning to people who are doing Yana Mudra, visualized consort practice with deities. In fact, there is a mental imprint. Even if it's pure, it's still a mental imprint. Meaning, there is a superimposition. There is um, attachment to conceptual designation of the visualized deity in the consort practice done alone. <laughs> so those guys can anybody, you know, there are attachments all over the place on the path, um, everywhere for all the paths, meaning the Theravada as well. Going on, the yogin who has seen true reality, however, <coughs> is wholly devoted to Mahamudra meaning great seal, meaning <laughs> luminosity. His faculties being unsurpassable, he abides in the realization of the nature of all entities, meaning deities, meaning visualized concepts, deity, visualization, practice, as playing with mental imprints, imprints pure or not. The yogin who's seen true reality, <clears throat> devoted to Mahamudra, or lives in it, which is the fourth of the mudras, his faculties being unsurpassable, he's the best, he abides in true nature, <laughs> the nature of the appearance of many. There's the appearance of many, all entities, so-called, experienced as all entities, the many. In its true nature, he abides, you know, Ma Mudra is the realization of true nature, true nature of the many uh, as the inconceivable, the one inconceivable, the inconceivable beyond concept. He goes on, bliss, naturally attained, and free from all imagining, this is precisely what the world is, meaning samsara. Therefore, everything is free of confusion <laughs> for such a one. And the Tibetan is actually everything is free of thought, which is interesting. Thought itself is a manifestation of confusion unless the thought is understood as Mahamudra. Going on, he, he writes... This is because the outer entities perceived by the mind do not appear as delusion, right? They're, they're seen as non-obstructive. They're seen as a manifestation of Mahamudra, of Prajna. These vivid presences are just like a woman in a dream, mind only, but still they serve a function. And so, real uh, uh, awakening, <laughs> um, luminous nature of mind, luminous nature, because it's beyond mind, you see. It's beyond a, a cognizing function. It's pure awareness, beyond conceptual designation, beyond conceptual production. This is no different than what the guys in the forest in Theravada know, by the way. They just don't talk this much. This is because outer entities perceived by mind do not, with the realization, appear as delusion, non-obstructive. These vivid are just like woman in a dream, mind only, right, back to that, Yogacara, mind only, they serve a function. <laughs> I like it without the brackets, it's much tighter. So, okay, no problem. Um, appearances are not a problem. 
delusion is not um, associated with arising for one who knows that arising is of the three marks or empty. Arising, that's the union of nirvana and samsara. Going on, <coughs> and I'll read with the brackets first. For one who has attained enlightenment, there is mind only, and mind is then taken as no mind. No mind, in turn, is self-awareness, and such an awareness depends on the guru, and that's where they um, rise and fall. So, <coughs> guru yoga, vajrayana, is critically dependent on guru-student relation, which is not a problem, and that can make in fast path, yes. You know, if Gautama worked with guys um, as the best of the Tibetan Rinpoches or Lamas do, with their closest and most advanced students, then uh, it would be a fast path, too. But he didn't do that. He basically said, here's the teaching, you go out and realize it, and that's what we'll see when we get to Ajahn Sao, which will basically conclude the discussion of Sotapanna and the whole Views Action Path series. For enlightenment there is mind only, back to this, this uh, paragraph, for enlightenment there is mind only, and mind is taken as no mind, no mind is self-awareness, and I'd say awareness, and awareness depends on the guru. And that's what makes it a faster path, but <laughs> if the guru has a problem, or um, they don't really, um, the, the level of the student is not really appropriate to what the guru is offering, uh, there's a big problem called <laughs> reckless driving at 150 miles an hour in your Ferrari. The emptiness of all things, he goes on, the emptiness of all things, sunyata, is not taken as the name of any one thing. This emptiness, being the nature of all entities, is difficult to realize directly by oneself. Yes, indeed. So, emptiness of all things, sunyata, which is not really separate from Mahamudra, or Great Seal, or luminous nature, is not taken as the name, nama, of any one thing, or rupa. <laughs> it's not taken as nama rupa. But nama rupa, name and form, names and things, are not separate. This being the nature of all entities, meaning <laughs> luminosity or reality, beyond conceptuality, is difficult to realize directly by oneself, yes indeed. That's then it, it yet, you know, that's why people spend decades in the forest, <laughs> in the the Theravada tradition, that these people want to go fast, and they might, um, but <clears throat> let the Ferrari driver beware. Going on, TV 16, meaning the next paragraph, just as grains become broiled rice in this world through the presence of fire and so forth, ignorance, avidya, becomes awareness uh, when purified by suchness. Suchness is ta-ta-ta. Suchness is um, the... <laughs> concept for reality beyond concept. Tatata, tatagata is the term for the Gautama. It was an original term for Gautama. Tat, the Tathagata, meaning the thus come one, the such come one, the one who just came. So, uh, just as grains boiled rice in this world, through the presence of fire and so forth, ignorance, avidya, becomes awareness, which is Mahmudra, purified by suchness. So ignorance, or the common mind of confusion and pain and thought, samsara, grasping, aversion, ignorance, 
is purified by ta 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 by reality itself, and that's why they call it a fast path. Is they're focused on basically transforming um, mind into luminous awareness directly, and um, it can work um, and it can crash. Um, but it's certainly a faster path. Um, but it's certainly a focus on um, the heart of the goal or realization. Um, and so presence of fire is the guru, <laughs> the teachings and the guru. And fire is another term for prana or shakti. <clears throat> Ignorance becomes awareness, purified by ta-ta-ta. Going on. Let me just see where we are here. Okay, I will close this, finish this for today. You go on a little long here. He for whom thought is meditation, for him nothing is inconceivable. The Buddhas declared to the world that a yogin is someone whose nature is inconceivable. And um, Gautama really said, you know, one thing that you should not speculate, one of the imponderables was the nature of a Buddha's attainment or complete and perfect awakening. There's no need to keep speculating. And actually, Theravada, I mean, the, the Vajrayana here, they're not really speculating. These guys are supposedly singing uh, Doha or presenting their awakening. And um, I'm sure Maitripa had third or fourth stage awakening. So, he for whom thought is meditation, meaning um, meditating on the inseparability of thought and luminosity. <laughs> for him, for that one, nothing is inconceivable. Um, what does that mean? I'm not sure. Nothing is inconceivable. Um, reality, certainly, it doesn't mean that you know things are conceivable, but concept isn't a problem. You don't have to see, uh, you, don't, you don't have to follow concept nor reject it. Neither follow nor reject nor, you know, neither affirming concepts are true and real, nor denying concepts are, there's nothing there, it's nothing, there, there's nothing real. Neither of those. The Buddhist declared to the world, yeah, a yogin, the Buddha didn't talk about yogin, you know, but he talked about the monk, the bhikkhu, is someone whose nature is inconceivable. <laughs> um, more or less, yeah. <laughs> but the Buddha never talked about your nature. And that's, so this is what happens 1,500 years down the line, after the teacher's gone. But yeah, uh, true nature is inconceivable. And the, that note 503 is the yogin sees everything as not being different from the inconceivable. And so conceive, conception is inconceivable. <laughs> and that's tatata, that's suchness. It just means that um, all that appears and the condition of non-arising, no thinking and thinking are both um, expression of the inconceivable luminosity of naked, you know, pure, boundless awareness, or boundless reality. Going on, the circle of the mandala is the yogin, and he himself is Mahamudra. <clears throat> he is the Dharma, Samboga, and Nirmanakayas, these are the three bodies of the Buddha, and he himself is all forms. And this is where you get to be a problem, because if you keep talking about me, um, too much me is definitely not Buddha Dhamma. And, um, you can say this, but if you are not <laughs> uh, really beyond false selfhood, or beyond um, so you know the sense of self, meaning you haven't broken the eighth fetter of conceit, 
uh, ahamkara is broken. If ahamkara is not broken, <clears throat> and you talk about I, myself, and Mahamudra, you will sorely get into trouble. So the circle is the yogin, meaning the mandala is yogin, is the yogi. He himself is Mahamudra, great seal. Your being is achievement, is your true nature is what you see. <clears throat> he is the three bodies of the Buddha. He himself is all forms. And this is again, you know, if you don't, if you haven't broken the eighth fetter or really eight, nine, and ten, uh, to talk this way can be very um, spiritual inflation, spiritually inflation, inflationary, uh, called spiritual grand, you know, grandiosity, spiritual inflation, uh, the exaggeration of um, false selfhood. So yet, you know, for the awakened one, all this is right. He himself is all, so self and other is one. <clears throat> Going on, uh, TV 19, the last, second, second to last. He who has done his duty and is, is without any wish has turned away from all attachment and engages in the four modes of ascetic behavior, is a Buddha and regarded as a Buddha. And these are notes 4, 5, 6. Uh, he is without any wish means he's without any thought but actually, the Tibetan wrote thought, um, wishes may be better because one is without desire at this point, has turned away from all attachment or all hesitation. And so here, <clears throat> it's very interesting, you know, the Sanskrit version, <clears throat> Tibetan version of, of this chapter are a bit different. Both of them have, have strengths and weaknesses, in my humble opinion. Uh, to say he's done his duty is without any wish is mya, it means he has no desire and no more intention or ambition. But the Tibetan wrote without thought, that's not true. Right? We also already say that thought is not separate from the inconceivable or from the luminosity. So better to say without any intention or desire. Meanwhile, the next is has turned away from all attachment, true. <clears throat> the Tibetan is Tibet turned away from all hesitation. That's also true. Uh, and so freedom from desire is freedom from hesitation. Hesitation is uncertainty. Uncertainty is the experience of option or choice or dualistic thinking or dualism in mind, mental dualism. Hesitation, I'm not sure. Why not sure? Because there's the appearance of two that hasn't been yet resolved. And so turned away from all hesitation is a nice way of putting it and engages in the four modes of ascetic behavior, which is actually just the four um, foundations of mindfulness. <laughs> Walking, standing, sitting, and lying down. It's actually the four, uh, I believe it's the four foundations of mindfulness. <clears throat> this is from the original Pali. <laughs> These four postures in which one can practice mindfulness. But you see, the difference is, uh, Gautama would be, you know, Theravadan practicing mindfulness in the four positions, walking, standing, sitting, lying down, which comes from the earliest teaching. This is really reformulating that to say that these are four modes of ascetic behavior when the mind is free of uh, grasping and aversion or conceptualization. And you can see that the people had become overly conceptual 1,500 years after Gautama. It was a different group of people that this was being taught to. More similar to the Westerners of today, than the the um, monks of 2,500 years ago, who were uh, more yogis than philosophers. 
and uh, at the time of Maitripa and today in the world, people are much more mental intellectual than they were 2,500 years ago. And so they're fighting fire with fire, using a lot of concepts to break down attachment to concept or attachment to superimposition and denial or thinking. And yet, <laughs> if you study all this, you'll be doing a lot of thinking. And so what really cuts through it is practice. <laughs> but there are uh, uh, many, many practices in Vajrayana. So it gets very... It's very difficult to not be entangled as far as I've seen Western students uh, of Vajrayana. Going on, uh, so this engaging in the four modes of ascetic behavior is basically uh, the asceticism of um, not reifying experience, not taking concepts as things and being free from attachment to mind and attachment to sense pleasures and all other tendencies. Finally, the last paragraph, non-duality, having been presented as non-duality, may, by the merit I have accumulated, the world experience this very day non-duality and great bliss. And the closing is the Tattva Vimshaka, composed by the renunciate and glorious Advaya Vajra, is ended. From the mouth of the venerable Diri Sri Yana, and translated by the translator who is the Tibetan, Sankar Shakya. Shakyod. And that's taking it from the Sanskrit to the Tibetan, and the scholar Gunter, uh, uh, Diet, whatever his name is, <coughs> um, what is his name? Whatever his name is. Uh, names are not important. The German scholar took both versions, the Sanskrit and the Tibetan, Tibetan was translated by Sankar, uh, Sankar Shakya uh, from um, Sri Yana, who took it from Maitripa. And non-duality having been presented as non-duality, it's the non-duality of, of uh, um, appearance and reality. Uh, the luminosity of both appear what appears to be dual and uh, what isn't. Uh, the identity of samsara and nirvana or confusion and enlightenment as one. May, by the merit I've accumulated, may the world experience this very day non-duality and great bliss. That ends the translation. And uh, concluding remarks from the Mates is, from the topical outline, it's clear that Maitripa first introduces the four seals, right? We had the uh, Karma Mudra, Samaya Mudra, uh, Yana Mudra, and Ma Mudra, right? Uh, the action seal of physical sexual practice with the consort, Samaya, uh, vows and the guru, uh, working with the guru and one's vows, Yana, meaning a mental internal practice of meditations, really, and then or visualize Yana Mudra, um, the visualized consort or mental working, internal, solitary, and then Ma Mudra, which is the greatest, which is in some ways reflecting on um, this conceptual presentation of non-conceptuality or a, a, a dualistic conceptual presentation of non-duality and trans-conceptuality. <laughs> right. From the topical outline, it's clear Maitripa first introduces these four seals and then distinguishes them as skillful means for those with inferior, average, and sharp faculties. While inferior practice, uh, practitioners rely on the Karma Mudra and the Samaya Mudra, a direct approach to Mahamudra is open for those with sharp faculties, 
while those of average faculties rely on the practice with a visualized consort, Yana Mudra. So this is what, you know, Buddhism became <laughs> 1,500 years later in northern India. And uh, you can see there's some brilliant uh, philosophical subtlety uh, and also a whole lot of points that people can get tangled in on and um, attached to. That concludes <laughs> my presentation of my tripa far from the, Thai, the, the Indian forest uh, uh, 2,500 years prior, even though <clears throat> actually my tripa was in northern Bihar and not far from Gautama's original teaching area. And that just shows you, you know, what, what the root of Karmakagyu Vajrayana teaching is, the union of samsara and nirvana, freedom from superimposition and denial, um, luminous nature of mind or luminosity beyond mind, uh, and uh, the way of amanasakara, meaning it's amanasakara that leads to all this realization. Next time, <laughs> if you're still alive, we're going to look into the forest tradition of Thailand, one of the root teachers, Ajahn Sao Kantashilo, and I'll send you a link, and uh, we'll get into it next time. That link may or may not work because there's some funny characters. Let me just do it here. All right. And then, finally, we'll close with some direct teaching from Ajahn Sao, uh, which was, you know, middle of the, middle of the 20th century. And you can see um, this teaching of Amanasikara, Madhyamaka, Mahamudra, um, a thousand years later, back to the Thai, back to the Vajrayana, um, and what real teachers do and talk to real students. Uh, what a real dialogue between uh, an advanced practitioner and the teacher looks like um, without all this Vajrayana discussion. Uh, and you can put them together and see what you think. So, <laughs> uh, thank you for being here on this journey. And thank you, Maitripa Advaya Vajra and um, Gunter Mates. Uh, great translation, great interesting work. Uh, take good care of yourselves, see you next time, and good night.